0: That's bluenile.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol come... del Arsenal Özil. Marca Mesut Özil.
2: Tocerrado el cabezazo gol. Gol del Arsenal. Que el cabezazo picado y el estreno del brasileño Gabriel en su primer. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnar Blog. James, good morning to you.
1: Good morning to you too. How are you doing?
2: I'm all right. I'm uh, sitting here reeling, recovering from the fact that plucky underdogs Liverpool managed to beat us last night. But hey.
1: They overcame the odds. What character they showed to, you know, withstand the mighty Arsenal. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it was it was uh, pretty much... I, I guess it was what I thought it was going to be for, on, on in general, you know? Yeah,
2: I wasn't expecting a win. Liverpool haven't lost there since April 2017, so the idea of us winning, you know, was uh, far-fetched, I think that would be fair to say. Nevertheless, I think you can... Um, You can look at Liverpool and be impressed by them and acknowledge Mm -hmm. how good they are and still feel, to some extent, a little sense of regret from an Arsenal point of view because there were a few things that went on during the Mm -hmm. game which might have taken it in a slightly different direction. And no doubt we will get into that now. Um, uh, Well, straight away. Straight away, I think, we'll go into this. So let's start with the team selection. Yes. Yes. Were you surprised by any of it?
1: (laughs) Yes, I was. I was. I was surprised that El Neni started, I have to say. I also have to say, I have to hold my hands up and say, while I was surprised, I wasn't uh, sort of furious about it or or absolutely sure it was the wrong decision in the moment. You know, I think in hindsight, clearly it, it was. But when Atatum made that choice, given how – Sabah's been pretty bad against West Ham, and given that Elneny had played in the community shield Mm. and played pretty well, I was kind of sanguine about it. I trusted Mikel, but I was wrong to do that.
2: (laughs) Um, It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because I don't think Elneny was the problem midfielder yesterday.
1: Well, he wasn't the one he was brought off. Well, that's
2: a very interesting part of it. Um, you know, I think what El gives you is, uh, maybe it's a, a hoary old cliche, but, you know, some kind of technical security in there. There's a safety to El Now, he's not the guy who's going to make a lot of progressive passes or, or split the lines or anything mm-hmm. like that. But in general, he's very secure on the ball. Um, mm-hmm, and what mm-hmm. he did yesterday was come out of the game with the highest pass completion rate of any Arsenal player, 94%, which mm-hmm. when you consider the way Liverpool pressed us, when you consider how hard they are to play against, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not, I'm not saying it's the world's greatest performance and people will say, well, X amount of those passes were backwards or sideways or whatever they were. You know, uh, he he was okay. He was okay in the grand scheme of things. So I thought it was quite interesting that Shaka was the one who made way, because very rarely does he get taken off. Um, no. Well, well, certainly under Mikel Arteta, he has very rarely been substituted, if at all.
1: Yeah, I mean that would be worth checking out. I I, I sort of. I have no memory of it Um, partly because I guess when there were crowds in stadiums no one wanted to risk what happened uh, against Crystal Palace happening again Mm. he he was taken off a couple of times under Emery obviously that infamous night um, almost a year ago now and there was one in the 3-2 against Aston Villa earlier in the season yes I remember I
2: I was there for that one yeah
1: Right, yeah. So so there were a couple of times under under Unai, but under Mikhail, not so often. And it caught, sort of, it did catch your eye when he came off because it felt unusual. It felt like something that doesn't ordinarily happen. The Unai thing is interesting. I mean, we've talked about him quite a lot on this show and basically we always come to the same conclusion, which is that he's kind of solid but unspectacular. Um, and not just unspectacular, relatively unadventurous, but, but solid with that. So it is a kind of there's a bit of a paradox to him of he's useful, but only so useful. Mm. Um, so, yeah. yeah, in terms of that, I, I, I wasn't... I wasn't... I was surprised, but not shocked. Because I know, you know, if you listen to what Mikel Arteta said about El Nene, he's been incredibly positive And I don't think that's just been blowing smoke up his arse or trying to inflate a transfer fee. You know, mm. I think he does want him in the squad uh, above certain other players. The, the other one that I think that was the big choice he had to make... Really was kind of Louise or Gabrielle at the back? Yeah. What did you think of that? Were you surprised he went for Louise?
2: Um, not exactly. I'll just I'll come back to that. But just to give the the lowdown on El Nenny's passing: um, uh, five out of seven forward, uh, thirteen out of thirteen completed backwards, and twelve out of twelve com- uh, completed square. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's. In some ways, the player he is, but also in some ways a consequence of the way we had to play against Liverpool. Um, uh, there's a wider discussion, I think, to be had about this in midfield, which we'll come to, I'm sure. But, you know, as tidy as El Meni might be and, um, you know, as good as Xhaka has been under um, Mikel Arteta, you know, these are players who've been in a team which has been sort of declining, if you like. So I think there's a broader discussion to be had about that yeah, and yeah. some of the other players in the team. You know, you're not going anywhere new with El Nani and Xhaka as your midfield. Simple as that. No, you know? I
1: mean uh, that wasn't it that combination under Emery that was kind of. In some ways, you know, a bit of a nadir mm. in his reign. Um, so, you know, I don't... Uh, I understand entirely if people yeah. can't get themselves excited about that.
2: Yeah. So, coming to Louise and Gabrielle, I was a... L- no, not really. I thought he... I thought maybe if Louise wasn't physically ready, he might not risk him in this one. I thought Gabrielle had been very good um, mm. in the first game of the season, good again in the second game of the season. I just feel like for this one, he knew what kind of a threat Liverpool were going to pose. Um, Did he want to play him as the third centre-half? That would have been an interesting aspect to this, you know, using him as the third central defender and playing Kieran Tierney in the the Maitland-Niles role, if you like. But I think he Mm -hmm. just kind of went with what worked for him. It worked for him at the end of last season. It worked against Liverpool. It worked against Chelsea. It worked against Man City. So, I think there was just an element of him in a game like this, knowing how tight it was going to be, how difficult it was going to be, going for something that he knew worked without throwing something outside in. Now, I yes. think this is a game in which he might consider some of his team selections for for games going forward. Um, but it, it didn't really surprise me. And I didn't think L- Louise was particularly uh, bad or anything like that. Maybe the header for the for the uh, for the third goal, but at that point, I don't know. You know, I think he'd been okay pretty much all game, Luis.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was an incident in the build-up to the first goal where he got kind of involved with something. I think he thought he was going to win a free kick, and he, he didn't, and then he was taken out of the game. I didn't think he was bad. I mean, he's tried, if not tested. Uh, sorry, do I, sorry what, is that what I mean? Tried, if not trusted. That's what I mean. Okay. Um, at the heart of a central defence. Gabriel... Who knows how he would have come through this test uh, and who knows how it might have impeded his adaptation. Do you know what I mean? It's such a difficult thing to go Mm. to Liverpool and emerge unscathed as a centre half. You know, maybe it just wasn't worth the risk of putting Mm. him in there. I didn't have a huge objection to that choice. And And I did say last week, I sort of think at the moment in this system, it is one or probably one or the other for now.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what he does, um, you know, with the team for Sheffield United. And then once we get beyond this international break, how we we set up the team. Because at that point we we will have a um
1: Hossam Hawar and Thomas party to yeah, squeeze it well, obviously yeah
2: exactly you know we'll have a completed squad one way or the other and there's there's things we can talk about there but but in general i mean what did you make of or of the reaction to the defeat is it a, is it in some way a positive thing that there has been quite a bit of fallout or quite a bit of frustration because you know we have done well in these big games um you mm. know to me um, it always felt like we were going to hit the hit the bricks at some point against one of these teams, and you know Liverpool. I think were were really, really as good as I've seen them uh, last night. They were superb. The pressing was superb. The way when we had the ball in certain areas, they just went. Whatever the trigger was, they went for it and they all went for it at the same time. They made it very difficult for our central defenders to pass the ball out. I don't think we helped ourselves sometimes with some of the way uh, some of the passes that we made between the goalkeeper and the central defenders, I think, put us under a bit more pressure. Yeah, you know. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that we've lost. So, is there something positive to be taken from the from the frustration that some people feel about losing to uh, runaway champions Liverpool, who are by miles uh, a much better team than we are?
1: Yeah, I can't find it now. But someone sent in a question saying, "I, you know, I feel a bit disappointed um, after this game." And is that a positive sign? Right. I guess. It, I guess it is. You know, because Arsenal came through big games against. Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea at the end of last season, they beat Liverpool the Community Shield. You know, I think that probably has galvanised the supporters a bit and made us feel a bit more comfortable about these fixtures. Our away record, and I know home and away is debatable in this sort of time without fans, but our away record at those grounds remains Mm. really poor. And I think changing that is kind of top of Mikel Arteta's to-do list, probably, you know, moving forward. Um, I also think there's a degree to which... If you play the way Arsenal have done in those games, which is primarily they've kind of sat relatively deep and looked to hit teams on the break, I do feel that sometimes that's not going to run for you, you know? And sometimes you are going to pay the price a bit for that. And to a certain extent, losing one of these three games to Liverpool was probably inevitable. But I think the fact that our hopes were a little bit higher... um, is encouraging and I actually do think there were things particularly in the second half that were uh better than we have been in these types of fixtures in the past mm. you know that, I, that Liverpool's first half performance was so good and granted we were helped out by a slightly fortuitous goal albeit one that came from a a, a plan you know a tactical plan to counter attack mm. um that, I mean, I've definitely seen Arsenal teams be completely blown away by that. And once they ship the second goal, collapse and ship four or five. I yeah. mean, we've literally seen that happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there is something to be said, even if the golfing quality was really, really obvious, and we all mm. understand how and why and everything else. I think you have to look at the the trajectories of the team and where they are in their in their processes, if you like. We can all understand why. But, you know, the fact that it was just to the last few minutes and it was 2-1 and you always have a chance of nicking something from a game if you can stay in it. So it's not to say we really competed or went toe-to-toe with Liverpool and we rode our luck a little bit, as you have to, as we did in the game that we won against them at the Emirates, if you like. Um, You know, we, we rode our luck a bit that night as well. Liverpool had far more chances, far more possession, dominated territory. You know, all the shots on goal they had, all the rest. But still, at 2-1... You know, you're in it. You're in it. And even uh, my brother um, in the last 10 minutes was sort of texting me saying, I'm a bit nervous here, Um, which, you know, I wasn't particularly... I wouldn't have been that nervous if I was a Liverpool fan. But the fact that he was, you know, just illustrates that when a game is in that kind of state with Mm -hmm. just a one-goal lead and Arsenal do have players who can hurt you um, if they get the, the, the chance... Um, you know, it could have gone the other way. So I think there is something to be said in general for the fact that, you know, we did go um, 2-1 down after going ahead. We didn't um, fall further behind. There was a uh, an amount of resilience to us, um, even if we found Liverpool hard to take with or hard to deal with. So I think from that perspective, you know, we can all see there's a long way to go. But, but I think Arteta on the night, was relatively pleased with, you know, what, what this group of players, who I think, we'll come on to this now in a second, are, are limited.
1: Mm.
2: What he got out of them in relation to the kind of performance that Liverpool put in against us.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that will please him most is that despite the setbacks Arsenal suffered, despite the fact that they went behind, they stuck to his plan. And, you know, they they tried to do all the things he asked them to do, to play out from the back. They never threw that out the window, yeah. you know. And, and maybe they stuck to it almost a bit too religiously at times. And I think he, he hinted at that in his post-match press conference, you know, that maybe a bit more variety was needed. But clearly they are on board with the manager. And I think the commentators on Sky pointed that out too, you know, that you could see this was a team following instruction, even when the scoreline wasn't in their favour. And that shows you know, the respect to the authority the manager has. So I think he'll be pleased with that. You know, after we beat them in July or whatever it was, he made the point about the gulf in quality between the two teams and how that can only be bridged in one way. And that's Mm -hmm. really by bringing players in. Yeah, And, you know, this was another illustration of that. The result went the other way, but the point really remained the same.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll we'll come to that in a moment uh, or a couple of moments time. I just want to talk about it. Uh, A big incident very early on in the game. Mm. Um, Sadio Mane, I think, should have been sent off. I think that's a red card offence. I think he was, you know, obviously up for the game and wound up because he clattered Hector Bellerin a couple of 30 seconds before that went down. Um, You know, so he was clearly um, wound up a little bit. And that's fine, you know. I, I thought the Bellerin one was a borderline yellow card. But I certainly thought the incident with Tierney was a red card. Um, I don't want to go down the road of if that was Xhaka or if that was an Arsenal player, because I don't think we need to. I think on the basis of what we saw, what he did, how he did it, that's a red card for me. It's a red card. And, you know, if we rode our luck a little bit in the game uh, and didn't go further behind against a, a very, very good Liverpool team, I think they got a bit of luck there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like you see those incidents happen and then they're not given. But in this VAR era that we're in, where everything is examined and mm. everything is looked at objectively, you have to look at that and say, "Well, that's violent conduct." And I, I do wonder with referees—is there kind of an amnesty in the first five minutes? Do you know what I mean? There is yeah, almost yeah. a sense of if you take someone, if you two-foot someone in the first sixty seconds, you're probably not going to go. Um, and it's the same with a flailing arm, but. Yeah, I think they got a little bit lucky there. You know, If you look at the way that officiating has really played it by the book, it does feel a bit frustrating. And actually, I think there's arguably a case that the same is true of the third goal, that there might have been a handball there. It's a bit frustrating that it didn't feel like it was applied to Mm. the letter of the law in that instance.
2: Do you not think, with regard to the third goal, that if there had been any kind of a handball, they would have disallowed it based on everything else that has gone on over the last couple of weeks. I've looked at the replays again and again and again, and it's really not conclusive from the ones that we see on the broadcast. It sort of looks like it might hit the top of his arm, but is it like the side of his chest? Is it the angle of the camera that we can't see fully? So I, I feel like um, you know, I don't want to delve into conspiracy theories or anything like that or, or a team getting favorable decisions. I just think that if you can give a penalty for some of the stuff that we've seen penalties given for over the last couple of weeks, they would absolutely have had to rule that out if it had been conclusive handball. Sure, and, I, and I
1: don't want to live or die by that absurd no. handball rule. Do you know what I mean? No, so no, I'm no. So not, I'm not asking for any sympathy there. I think the Mane one, I mean, someone texted me after it and said, orange card, and that's always a bit of a kind of sitting on the fence thing. But I think that shows it could have gone either way and he could have shown a red card there. I mean, it, it, would he do it at a full Anfield with a you know, raging support behind them? Probably not, but in a neutral environment. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect it to happen there. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it would have changed the game because Mane, as wound up as he was, he managed to channel that into a pretty good performance from that point on.
2: Well, look, he's just a fucking great player. He's such a Mm. difficult player to play against. He's so strong and quick. His finishing is good. I think Leno had to make a really good save, didn't he? He just arrived out of nowhere at one point and made the save. Um the goals, I suppose, we can look at the defending a little bit. I know people have had some questions about Burned Leno for the first goal. Would you share well, some of those? We scored cons- first, Andrew. Oh, Let's yeah. Well, we I mean, forget. the first Liverpool goal. I mean, goal of the season. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk that in a minute. Look, it was a good move. It was a good
1: move. It was, yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminded the- me, actually, of... Do you remember Mate niles scoring at Anfield? Uh, I think it woe- yeah, be way yeah, down yeah. the left. And it was similar last season, a kind of breakaway counter-attack. And Maitland-Niles, you know, he's a, he's a curious player in this, isn't he? Because he's got this tremendous athletic capability to get from one end of the pitch to the other. But he's playing in a position on the left-hand side where he hasn't always got the final ball. He hasn't necessarily got the delivery. Probably, well, got very lucky that the ball found its way to Lacazette. And obviously, Lacazette got lucky with the finish. But mm. you, if you were being kind to Arsenal, you'd say, well, that's the execution of the plan. You know, they were sitting deep, they were under the pressure, and then they found a way out. They played out. They got at the opposition end, and they scored. I mean, Arteta would have been thrilled with that. I think what was really tough for Arsenal and not ideal was how quickly, how yeah. quickly Liverpool, you know, reasserted their dominance and got the first goal.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, look. Is there any need to go over the goals, um, the ones that we well, conceded? I mean, I, I,
1: the, on the first, uh, the first one is the one where. I mean, Kieran Tierney, God love him, gets absolutely roasted by Mm. Salah. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I felt like it was a bit... In the first half, I felt like, you know, Maitland-Niles plays that sort of hybrid left-side centre midfield role.
3: Yeah.
1: And typically... When Arsenal don't have the ball, he's out there as the left wing-back covering Tierney. And I felt like, it might have just been me, but I felt like in the first half, he was getting dragged into central areas a lot more. Maybe it was an instruction thing. Maybe he was supposed to dip inside a bit and help out Shaka and Ceballos. But it left Tierney one-on-one against Salah more than once. And I thought he struggled. I don't think there's great shame in that. I mean, we're talking about Mane. Salah's another Mm. world-class forward player. But I I did think that... um, Maitland-Niles didn't always help him out in the first
2: half. Yeah, I mean, I think in that one, he had gone forward to press the ball up on near halfway and Liverpool worked it forward and from there. You know, we tried to give away a free kick, I think, to stop the move and the referee played advantage. That's Louise. Um, yeah. That was the Louise. Maybe Xhaka was involved there as well. Yeah, Tierney got done. Salah shot. I think Leno's hands are a bit soft, a bit chocolatey on there, um, Mm. on the ability or on the attempt to stop the goal and uh, Mane's in behind Bellerin. To tap it home. I think the second one, I think you have to look a bit at Willian, who not for the first uh, time didn't track uh, the runner. Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: I've only seen it a few times. Holding and Bellerin look quite close together, like Bellerin gets sucked right in. Do you think that's the right thing he's doing there, covering over? And Willian should be, you know, behind him, nearer? Or I, is, Holden, is Bellerin sucked a bit in a bit far?
2: I'm going to have to watch it again, so I've got it up here now. Yeah diagonal ball from van dyke. Jesus good at that.
1: It's a hell of a it's a hell of a pass though. He's, he's fine, good,
2: isn't it? Um where is Bellerin? Yeah. Bellerin is actually on Mane, so he goes right. with Mane. So I think he kind of has to go with the man there in the box. Yeah. But but William Willian's not in the right position at all. And it wasn't the first time either that Robertson ran off the back of him. So, look, I don't think it was great defending from either Holding or Beller in there, but they were both, you know, trying to... Mm. Maybe, I don't know.
1: It's it, I, mean, I tell you what, it's quite an interesting thing. It, it's interesting you say it's confused because this back four, back five thing for Arsenal has really worked, you mm. know, and this idea that... Tierney's kind of the left-back and the centre-back. It's been really, really effective. But I do think um, when you're playing a really top side like Liverpool, there is an opportunity for them to take advantage of that a bit. So, you know, I mentioned the thing with Maitland-Niles not being there to to give Tierney the cover on the first goal. On the second one, you know, if, if Hector's playing in a back four... He probably does the right thing, you know, following Mane across. But if he's five, he's the widest man and the mm-hmm. widest defender. He should probably still be out there. And so when you've got a, a team like Liverpool who move you around and your shape is literally changing in the course of a move, maybe it does make some of those basic defensive positioning elements a little bit harder to make those decisions so quickly. Yeah. Um, but look, I mean, you know, it was Liverpool... Doing what Liverpool do best. I mean, Arteta was laughing in his post-match interview for Sky about Van Dyke. How you know yeah. you try and press him, and he just plays a sixty-yard pass to someone's feet. Yeah, uh, and it's very Alexander impressive. Delivery is not bad either.
2: No, I mean the the two fullbacks are are very good in that sense, aren't they? So, yeah. Look, I mean, yes. Yeah, sometimes you can overanalyze a goal from the point of view of your defending. You can always pick the bones out of it, but. You know, you also have to look at the fact that you're playing against high-quality opposition who make your defenders look um, silly sometimes just because of how <laughs> good they are, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we went in at half-time 2-1 down and actually I think, you know, that the performances of the two teams, the, the gap could have been significantly wider. Um, and the one consolation thought that I had to myself was, well, I think Liverpool will struggle to maintain quite that level of intensity in the second half. Uh, and there might be a bit of opportunity for us to improve. And I thought we did improve. I thought tactically there were a couple of things that changed. I thought Maitland-Niles was a bit wider in the second half and did give Tierney a bit more help. And subsequently we saw a bit less of Salah. We saw a bit less of Alexander-Arnold. Mm. I thought um, the front three, in, in you know, when we played the system at the back end of last season, something that was really characteristic was that Lacazette was the deepest of the three and and it was Pepe and Aubameyang usually who were actually further ahead and kind of pressing on higher and I felt like we didn't do that at all in the first half of this game. I thought Lacazette was clearly the highest man and William was tucking in almost as an extra midfield player. In the second half that changed a little bit and Lacazette was deeper so it meant that we were... I, I felt like that just suited us slightly better but of course the introduction of is probably as big a factor as anything.
2: Yeah, look, he, he gives us something in midfield that we we didn't have with Jack with and El Elneny, uh, you know, a bit of creativity. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he did make a difference when he came on. I thought he was really good. He was maybe our best player on the night, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that was based off a 30-minute cameo or whatever it might have been. But, you know, he did create that chance for, for Lacazette. So let's... Let's go there and let's discuss that. Um, You know, in the context of Lacazette, who has scored three times in three Premier League games this season, yet for me, Mm. I think he's just... I think he's an issue. I think he's an Mm. issue for us at at, at centre-forward. And, um, you know, I think you can widen this out a little bit to a number of players who've been part of a team which hasn't performed to the level that we would have wanted over the last number of years, right? Mm. I think you, you could make this case, and we have done uh, previously when we talked about who are the untouchables? Who are the players who you simply cannot do without? And I think at the end of last season, we we had maybe three or four of them, you know, mm. in the squad. Uh, And maybe it was a little bit negative, but, you know, I think that was more or less true that there was a a finite number of players in this squad who you would say categorically, we have to keep and they are going to make a big contribution to us. Everyone else, if the right money was on offer or if there was, you know, a, a chance to improve on them, I think we would have been okay with. Yeah. And for me, Lacazette is is one of those players. So I acknowledge the three goals in three games. I just feel like this is a guy who hasn't looked confident for a long time, who hasn't looked physically sharp for a long time, who still doesn't do 90 minutes. Um, And in some ways, maybe that's part of the role that he has to play. But at the same time, Aubameyang, it's not like he's standing around on the left doing nothing. He's chasing up and down. Every single game, every single week, he's running up and down at 31 years of age. With fullbacks, with um, you know Alexander Arnold last night and and everything else, so I, I just feel like Lacazette like is somebody who we need to have a, a conversation about. Let's talk about the miss first. Mm-hmm. What's your what are your thoughts on that chance?
1: You want him to score there? I mean, it's a one on one. He's through on goal. Funnily enough, I mean, I said this in my post match video. That's sort of not where. My issues with Lacazette generally are, you know, striking of the ball when he's got a very good chance. I sort of think he's okay, usually, in those environments. This was not a confident finish. I'm convinced that a few things play into it. I honestly think that the one that he went through where he was offside moments before, you know, and his finish was so sloppy on that occasion. I just feel like that must have been in his head a little bit. The fact he just puts his foot through it, you know, to me says that he had that bit of anxiety. I also think that um, he went round Alisson at the Stadium a few oh, months yeah, yeah, ago.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, and, try, and tried to another time, I think. And, and I think Alisson was pretty wise to that. And it meant that he... Listen, I'm not trying to assuage Lacazette's culpability here, but the keeper is in an excellent position. When you actually look at the point where Lacazette strikes the ball, the keeper's like five yards away from him, completely upright, It's really good goalkeeping, Mm. but a better first touch opens up an angle for Lacazette, doesn't make it such a central chance. You know, as a fan, you sit there and you go, he's got to score that. Mm. Of course, you know, you look at the XG and it's either 0.3 or 0.4, depending on who you believe, you know, most of the time. That chance, probability-wise, isn't scored. But its weight in the game is massive because you don't get chances like that at Anfield. Mm. We had one. If we take it, the story of the game is different. So I completely understand the emphasis. What what did you think about it? I
2: just think he's got to score in that situation. And it it, it was the attempt of a guy who, like I said, doesn't seem confident. And I wonder if, you know, what's going on with his contract. Um, I know that's probably something they should be able to compartmentalize. But, you know, is the belief really there in him from Arteta? I know mm. he picks him and he talks about him in positive terms all the time, but are they really trying to, to keep him uh, and make him feel like this is where he belongs? Does he feel like his future is, you know, up in the air a little bit? Like if a good That's offer a good came point. in for Lacazette, I think we'd we'd definitely consider it, you know?
1: Um, and that can affect players maybe it shouldn't but it yeah, certainly can
2: it can um uh, yeah it just it just wasn't sharp enough for me and i i couldn't help but wonder what if that had been obameyang in that situation yeah. in the center forward position and i know there have been reasons why he hasn't been played there oh, i'm looking at it again
1: Oh, it's a really bad first touch as well, isn't it? it That's really- the thing. It's not out of his feet and it gives him. It doesn't really give him an angle. Do you know no, what I mean? he kind of has to like- get his
2: foot behind it to take the shot yeah. rather than sort of. If he put it out in front of him a bit, he could guide it, even roll it beyond the keeper.
1: Yeah. Um, he probably, you know, if, if he's more confident, he can probably correct that, you know, and he can probably face up again almost. He's got probably got the time, but mm. he, he's not feeling like that and he's not playing as instinctively and you know you're right to cite Aubameyang I mean of course I actually am one of the people who really thinks Aubameyang on the left works and I I like it for a lot of reasons but But you can't mm, look at that and think he wouldn't have fared better in that situation yeah
2: that I think that's a a chance he puts away eight nine times out of ten Aubameyang um you know particularly when he's demonstrated in the last few weeks the the ability to score from difficult angles. You know, you think about the goal in the FA Cup final, that kind of a thing. Um, I wonder if the, the, the acceptance of Aubameyang on the left is predicated on the fact that we just need to have more than one player who can nominally score a goal on the pitch um yeah he's
1: like scoring goals he like, is yeah know. i'm not I'm not
2: disputing that, but what I mean is in the in the system that we play with this three at the back um uh, we don't have a goal scoring midfielder really um
1: we don't we're not in the market for one either by the way we're mm. not i mean you know our ours is an exciting player, but I don't think he's ever scored more than ten goals in a season so you know, well four team.
2: Twice as many goals as Granite Xhaka has scored, you know, yeah. in his Arsenal well, career. True. So look, it's it's I think it's a consequence of simply not having enough players who can score goals on the pitch within the system that we use, mm. in this three at the back. So you get Obama on the left, he's hugely effective there because he's he's a brilliant player. And that's why and so you're you kind of covered there. So you have a centre forward, whether it's Lacazette, whether it's Nketi or, or somebody else. Uh, that's another goal thread on the pitch. From the right-hand side, that's a, another debate, another question. And I'm sure perhaps one will come to in part two because we do have some questions on that. But I, I would be very, very strongly thinking about, you know, my ideal scenario would be if we could get some decent money for Lacazette if we could replace him with a young striker and in the meantime, we could use Aubameyang as our center forward. I think Bakayo Saka from the left-hand side is a really good option. He He's creative, he's quick, he's intelligent. Um, you know, we have to think about maybe another way now because this system that we're using uh, – I don't mean it's easy to nullify because we're not going to play teams as good as Liverpool who are going to make it that that difficult for us. Mm. But there isn't a great deal of variation to our play, to our system, to our formations. You know, we can talk all we want about how it's a four in possession and, you know, but ultimately we are playing with this three at the back system. And, and uh, I, d- I don't know, I just, I don't see, I don't see... The persistence with Lacazette, if we're trying to build something, although I recognise the fact that we can't build something without further additions to the squad.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, Aubameyang through the middle, it's hard to understand why it's never an option, you know? Like, Mm. Like I say, I like Aubameyang on the left, but I don't think it has to be the case in every single game. At the moment it feels like Arteta sees it that way. And maybe that's just because he's trying to establish patterns of play or he's trying to lean on patterns of play that are already been worked on. I don't know. But I would like to see him century I mean what without wishing to talk too much about a player we haven't signed, one of the things that I think is really interesting about our is that having spoken to someone who's watched him a lot professionally, they say one thing he can do is play from the left. And that, to me, is really interesting because it opens up the possibility Mm. of, well, you've got a player who can go on the outside in Tierney or Saka, whoever it is. You've got a player who can come inside, beat more of that kind of Sami Nasri or whoever you you want to compare him to, a kind of inverted uh, attacking player from the left. And then that frees up a Birmingham to go centrally. Mm. I think, you know, there's some merit in that as a, as a prospect, as a possibility. I, equally, he can play in central midfield and that might be what happens if we get him. But yeah. you know, the fact that we're looking at someone who can do that job from the left makes me think, maybe, maybe Arteta will look at it. And, you know, I, I hear your point about sell Lacazette and bring someone in. There's If you're going to play Aubameyang centrally and you've also got Eddie Nketiah and you've also got Gabriel Martinelli... There might be a case you don't even need another centre forward. If you can get two central midfielders that dramatically improve your team, mm-hmm. maybe that's more important.
2: Yeah, maybe so. I just suppose the thing about the thing about um that scenario is Goals. Maybe goals, maybe just the seriousness of the injury to Martinelli and when he might be ready.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah, you're right to say that. And also you know, seniority up front does matter. You do want someone that, you know, I know people have their problems with Lacazette. But, you know, he if you look at his last, I don't know, 10 games, the run-in and then this season, he's, he's probably scoring every other game or something like it. That's not a guarantee from a young player. I'd love to think it was, mm. but it just isn't. Um, so there is a value in that. And you probably would want to replace that. It is a really interesting one and it does feel like where are we now, a week from the end of the window. Yeah. If someone came knocking, you know, I think Arsenal would be really tempted. There's no new contract discussions happening. Mm. So you know, it would have to be worthwhile for the club, but I don't think it's I don't think it's been ruled out by any means.
2: Yeah. I mean I don't think there's anything imminent either. Um
1: no, and, and I don't think Arteta... Look, Arteta wouldn't be picking him. Do you know what I mean? He's got Eddie Nketiah. He can pick him if he wants. Um, he is picking Lacazette over him for a reason. Uh, so I don't think he'll, you know, be devastated if he keeps him. But I do think that it's one of those situations that, that is a bit fluid, you know, where it could go one way or the other.
2: Yeah, yeah. Look, I just, I just think that... Um... You know, as Arteta said, we've got a long way to go to get to anything close to what Liverpool are, if we can ever get there, which would be a remarkable yeah. achievement if you could build a team as good as that one. The The squad as it stands, I feel like he is and has been wringing every little bit of what he can get out of these players in a system which I don't think is necessarily his favourite system. I think mm-hmm. we're using it because he he looks at the squad and he says, Well, you know on the balance of um you know what I have to work with, this is the best way uh to set them up mm. um you know we we do lack quality, we are not going to get much better unless we invest or unless there is some investment in the team um and there are players who are part of it right now, who might be fairly important for Mikel Arteta or who are used quite regularly, who, if we are going to get better, need to be replaced because it's not necessarily, you know, bringing in a guy who's maybe a bit more ready than Joe Willick that is going to make Arsenal significantly better. It's bringing in somebody who is better than Shaka for example, or better than Lacazette or better than Bellerin or better than, you know, players who have been there and been part of this, you know, that's how you get better. And even if that means bringing in somebody in a different position, let's say, and you move Aubameyang, who is a world-class striker, move him to his favoured position, and then you bring in a good player, whether it's Awa or somebody else to play on the left-hand side, mm-hmm. or you play Awa in midfield and you've got then Saka to play on the left-hand side. You know, that's how you're going to improve this team.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean...
2: And I don't, I don't mean it to sound harsh on guys like that, but I think we have to be realistic that there is, as it stands with this group of players, a ceiling that we are not going to get through as good as Arteta is and has been and, and will continue to be in terms of how he sets up the team and what he, what he elicits from them because they believe in what he's doing. There is only... There's, you can only go so far.
1: Yeah, and I think the only thing I would say as a sort of like counter to that is um, the gap between Arsenal and Liverpool is absolutely massive, but that is not where we're trying to get this season. Fair. And I think fair. I, I think like as, as much as it's disappointing and we lost the game last night and we're like, crikey, look how far we have to go. I don't think it's that far to go for us to get, for example, back into the Champions League, which potentially catapults us you know forward a, sure. a big way in our evolution and so I think we, we're looking at doing it in stages like mm. I, I would never sit here and say the likes of uh, I don't know Shaka or Lacazette can make us Premier League champions I'm, I'm not so deluded as that do I think that Arteta can potentially put together a team that involves those players that makes top four probably yes so I think it's sort of It's it's about how much we can do this summer, Mm. basically.
2: Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, look, Liverpool is not the the game or the performance that will define our season, but it's a good measuring stick all the same. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, it's certainly possible that these guys could be part of a squad that reaches the top four, but they have been part of a team that has failed to do so Mm -hmm. for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been part of this... Um stagnation slash decline, however however you want to call yeah, it. Decline, you know, I yeah, decline. You know, so again, it's not being super harsh on these guys, but but we have to be we have to be open to the idea that that they can only take us so far. Um as yeah, hard as I, they I, might I, work and everything else.
1: I agree with that. I agree with that. I just think they have to prioritise the areas of need. Do you know what I mean? So particularly with Lacazette, I feel like you know, you look at the central midfield, and it's so important that Arsenal improve there. In my opinion, yeah. it might be that Lacazette survives, if you will, for for longer, simply because we can't do it all now. Mm. But I agree with you. If we want to be where we want to be, these are changes that have to happen.
2: No, I think I think that's a good point as well. Like, if you ask me right now, um, would I would I be happy if Lacazette stayed and we signed two very good central midfield players? I would be much happier with the two central midfield players because um, that really is the priority. That really is for me. Um, but of yeah, course, there's a it, there's a lot to do still, Jesus.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was interesting, Arteta, after the game, he kind of said, you know, we don't really know <laughs> what's going to happen. And sometimes you think a manager's bluffing and then other times you believe them. And I sort of believed him. I mean, you know, there's... Clearly interest in some players from Arsenal. There are clearly players who are on the market, available to go. But how exactly that all pans out and how the club can be committing to pay for players Mm. without knowing what's coming in, it's a real juggling act in these final few days.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we've said it, I think, often that there are going to be things in in the final... Days of the transfer window, which happen because the market drives them uh, and the club's need for things to happen will be part of that, you know. Mm. Um, so let's see. I, you know, I, I. How optimistic are you that we're going to get at least one central midfield player in?
1: I'm very optimistic, actually. I really am. I think that, well, it's partly because I know Leon's game and we've all seen it. Before. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: You know, they they play their hand pretty publicly. And I think, you know, the, all the noises suggest they're preparing for a sale on that player. Mm. Um, and I think it looks like Arsenal are the only people in. I mean, there's <laughs> quite sort of like brutal headlines out of Lake this morning saying Jose has resigned himself to a move to Arsenal after like, you know, Juventus failed to come in. Um, I can live with that, to be honest. If we're getting a player who's sort of, you know, who was expected to be going to a better team, that's great. Mm. Uh, I'll take that all day long. But I think we will get someone. Um, I I have a small hope that we might be able to move on a number of players and maybe do something else as well. Mm. But um, I am aware that's probably wildly optimistic. What about you?
2: Um, I... I... (sighs) I think if we don't do at least one, we are taking a step backwards almost,
3: mm.
2: you know, because we can't achieve what we want to achieve or we can't we can't start to build what we want to build without the manager being backed in some way in the transfer market. Now, I know we've brought in Gabrielle. I know we've brought in Willian. Uh, we've got Sabios back.
1: Um Please, Andrew, do not forget Pablo Marie and Cedric Suarez. <laughs> there's,
2: there's, there's an outlay of
1: millions of that's pens. very questionable. It really is very, ends, very isn't questionable, it? isn't it? Look, I mean, the fact that we bought Gabrielle. Look at the number of centre halves we have on the books. Look at the fact that we've got you know Maitland Niles and Bellerin, who can both play at right back. That a time when the club is under huge financial pressure and granted we didn't know about covid in january or at least we weren't paying much attention to it mm. but in with hindsight in my opinion very questionable allocation of resources
2: absolutely absolutely um and hopefully hopefully we can we can cope with that because there are places we need to recruit um
1: so i just think, let, let me put it like this yeah. if someone offered you your money back for those players now you'd take it I'd say
2: certainly with Cedric um, yeah. and Pablo Marie. Look, I can't say with any assurance as to what uh, what level he's at because we. have Yeah, he might be
3: great. He, he might, might be great. He
2: Might be good, and he might be somebody who genuinely adds some depth and and quality to to the centre of our defence. I'm, I'm, you know, have always been just a little bit, just a little bit cautious because of his career trajectory. Very few players go from Spanish second division to Brazil to the Premier League and become, you know, really outstanding players. And we've kind of had enough okay defenders. So you would wonder why we might just buy another one. But look, that,
1: yeah, he, I, I, he's my got time. Said, my, me saying I'd sell him, by the way, is not so much based on his individual quality, but on the fact that we have millions of centre-backs and we can't sell any. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So... You know, Socrates has moved to Napoli, is reportedly off after they've decided to keep Koulibaly. Um, So, you know, that's kind of what informs that, the idea that we don't need all these central defenders.
2: Yeah. Look, there is bloat in the Arsenal squad. There's no two ways about it. And and, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see us compromise in a fairly significant way to get rid of a couple of players... Between now and the the close yeah. of the window,
1: so and, and also I should say, like I'm not blind, and nor are you, I'm sure, to the financial situation the club is in. And I appreciate that you know they've just discovered they're not going to get fans back in October. You know there are big financial considerations for for, for any company in this mm. period. But yeah, I do think that Arsenal probably sense that there is opportunity there to improve. They need to improve to achieve what they want this season, which has to be top four, really, as the, as the main goal. So I think I think they will do something. Mm. And how much they do is going to be informed by how much they can sell. And we are not characteristically good sellers. It's a great, Do you know what? Edu could make himself a very popular man if he can sell a few players for a good price in this last week or so.
2: Yep, that's very true. That's very true. Um, best of luck to him, and of course, Mikel Arteta, who will be involved. Of course, is the the manager of the club. Mm-hmm. Final thought on Liverpool. Then, look, always disappointing to lose a game, but uh, while there were things that frustrated us, you know, I, 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 it's hard just to 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 use this as the yardstick for anything other than, uh, you know, a, an illustration of where we are in comparison to them, and it didn't tell us much we didn't already know.
1: No, and I am convinced that it is not this game that will tell us a lot about Arsenal, but the coming games. So after Sheffield United and then the international break, we go to Man City, who you know have their problems. Maybe they will resolve those in the transfer market in the next week. It's then Leicester at the Emirates and Manchester United at mm. Old Trafford. I think how we fare against particularly Leicester and United is going to be really interesting and really instructive. Um, And I think will tell us more probably about the way in which we've improved.
2: I mean, those are the teams that we're looking to compete with for
1: this top
2: four, you know? So, yeah. Okay, well, look... It's all to come. Of course, another trip to Liverpool to come this week in the in the Carabao Cup. Um, I'm not necessarily sure it's uh, one which deserves a great deal of discussion right now. Um, so we'll take a break and come back with some of your questions and more in part two right after this.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb dot com slash host.
2: Welcome back to part two of. That's not what I usually say, is it? I go no. Hang on. <laughs> I can, what's happening? Is it you? Do say do I? Welcome I think back. Say so. okay. Welcome back to part two. two
1: part of, two of, of
2: the. Arse, Arsecast,
1: something extra, <laughs>
2: in which we answer the questions that you sent to us on t- t- Twitter. Also, correct. F- fuck, forgot Facebook. No, we don't. No, yeah, we, we don't. don't do it on okay.
1: Facebook
2: so. and Discord. If you're a member on uh, Patreon, member on Discord, you can get the uh, questions in there. Just before we go into these, I thought there was a, a very interesting uh, little snippet during the week, which made a lot of sense to me. I don't know if you saw this. It comes in the wake of the many people who sent us the video of the poor child being chased down the road by an evil magpie.
1: Harrowing. Swooping Harrowing at
2: his head like an absolute bastard, this magpie was. Um, so yeah, the
1: personification of evil, really, yeah. in that moment.
2: People were saying, look at that person. They're filming him, and they're not even helping him. There was nothing anyone could do for that kid. I'm sorry. That kid, exactly.
1: It's done. It was over. <laughs> <laughs> Families agree. Yeah.
2: But um, Jose Mourinho was talking about Bobby Robson and he was talking about Newcastle. He right. said, It's a club I feel a connection with because of Mr. Robson. It's as simple as that. He had a huge passion for Newcastle, he had it in his heart. So through him, I have become a little magpie.
1: No. Yes. Of course, the reveal, the man behind the magpies is Mourinho,
2: the magpie king, Jose Mourinho, <sighs> motherfucker.
1: <laughs> it's him, it's him who sends the magpies out to attack people, to live on your roof or whatever they're doing. Yeah, to torment my dogs. Unbelievable, Mourinho behind it all, the mastermind. Mm. The magpie An- one.
2: Yeah, anyway, look there you go. It all becomes clear. The, the, the evil of 2020 knows no bounds. It really doesn't. <laughs> um, here's a question to start off with from cool. Adam P, who's at 3-5-who, who says, should the amount of shots we concede be a concern? Only four teams in the league have faced more than Arsenal thus far, or should we see this more as a consequence of the defensive system that Arteta deploys?
1: Well, wow. It's funny. I thought you were going to say the amount of shots we take. Well, um, Selbridge Gunner
2: <laughs> at Selbridge Gunner says, "What do you make of the at Orbino stats that only four teams have allowed their opponents more shots on goal, and only West Brom have had fewer attempts on goal so far this season?" I think it. You know, we have to point out that it is only three games.
1: It is too small a sample size at the moment to look at this season. But I believe if you extend it, you know, across Arteta's reign. Um, and even if you look beyond that to be honest remember how many shots we conceded under Emery but even in Arteta's reign I think we have basically been uh, the shot balance has not been great interestingly the XG per chance that Arsenal create is very good so although we don't create many shooting opportunities, the ones that we do create are very well worked, very presentable. Mm. Um, just ask Alexandra Lacazette.
2: Oh, that but, guy, yeah, yeah, I remember him.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but it is a concern. It is a concern. I think, you know, to be, I, we all know we're not there yet, but to be a Liverpool, to be a Manchester City, you need to be taking a lot more shots than your opponent. Basically, Mm. so we need to improve in both those regards. Uh, That goes without saying, I think. Do do you agree?
2: Yeah. Look. um, Yeah, I mean, I I can't disagree. I think the the system which we play has an impact at both ends of the pitch. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we could probably do a little bit more in terms of um, preventing shots. Because why was Emmy Martinez so um, I don't want to open up the Leno Martinez thing, by the way. It's done. It's done. There's just no point in having that debate even if I thought Leno was a bit iffy last night. You know, it's done, it's over. Yeah.
1: But there's a reason Amy why Emmy Martinez, Martinez is going to be the world's greatest goalkeeper he in the yeah,
2: Well I've accepted that. I've moved on. <laughs> um,
1: you know, he was really impressive
2: because he had a lot to do. Our goalkeepers have a lot to do and have done yeah. for, for a bit too long. So I think that's something we do need to address. Ultimately, I think this comes down to control. It's a question of control for me. Mm-hmm. That we we don't control games well enough from midfield. We don't create enough. Um, I think that's an issue that everybody has pointed out at some point, so we don't need to expand on that in any significant way. And when we don't control possession as much as we used to, I mean, long gone are the days, aren't they, when you know Arsenal would have ten attempts on goal and the opposition would score with their first one? Um, oh yeah, you know. So,
1: pine for those days?
2: I've, well, kind of. One aspect of it, anyway. <laughs> Not so much the, the the second bit, but you the know,
1: goalie, well, how i yearned yearn for the goalkeeper to just let the first shot dribble through his legs at um, the near post, at the near post, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I think it is. It's to do with control. And, and, you know, we used to control games better. We don't anymore. Therefore, we don't create as many chances. Therefore, the opposition have more of the ball. Therefore, they have more uh, opportunities to shoot. Um, so, yeah, it all comes down to that. And again, I think that feeds back into this idea or this this thing that we have where we need midfielders. We need the midfield that will help us control the games. And, I, you know, I don't want to say that signing one or two central midfielders will be the thing that fixes us and makes all of our problems go away. But I think it will or should, if they're the right players, address both of those uh, statistical outputs, if you like.
1: Yeah, because look, it is a small sample size and it's tempting to look at the Liverpool game and go, well, that's going to skew, you know, any stats. And, and indeed, Liverpool had 21 shots to R4 at Anfield last night. But, you know, look back a week before that against West Ham. You know, that idea of control is interesting because Arsenal had 63% possession, but were still comfortably outshot 14-7. to 7. Mm. Um Something that's gone out of Arteta's Arsenal team, I feel like, in the last couple of weeks, and that I'd like to see come back, is a bit more of that cynical fouling high up the pitch. I think we did that really well when he first came in and sort of stopped moves developing. Yeah, um, and
2: Bellerin got booked yesterday for a foul exactly like that. Um, yeah. Moments yeah, yeah. after, Fabinho had committed basically the same foul mm. to block off Aubameyang. mm so, True. you know, I think uh, yeah, I think it's maybe, there, maybe but yeah, I do know what lightly. you mean.
1: But yeah, I, I'd I'd like to see a bit more of that. I mean, it, it, clearly it's something that needs to be addressed. I do just think it's, like you say, it's about control and, uh, and it comes back to quality at the end of the day. Mm. Um, let's have this question from Alistair Wood, Aliboy82. And Alistair says, last year Iwobi was sold to Everton on deadline day with little previous links to him leaving. Do you think there'll be any unexpected sales late in the window? And if so, might they be a sting in the tail for the fans?
2: Well, I mean, who, who could we sell that would sting your tail?
1: That's a very good question. I guess it would have to be someone that we didn't really replace adequately. Do you know what I mean? So, like, if it was like, are we let... X go but we didn't bring it Who would sting my tail Who
2: would sting your tail Genuinely if they were to go
1: I think that some people Would be stung by The sale of someone like Maitland Nars If that happened Mm -hmm. Um, Hector Maybe Yeah Hector Kind of. Now that PSG have got their right back, I've kind of ruled that one out. Um, but it would, just, it would, you know, that sting would, your- that would sting. I think so. I'm just thinking in terms of what's realistic. Um, of course, if we lost El our our key playmaker in central midfield, it'd be a hard <laughs> blow for us all at this point. No, I mean, listen, um, I, I don't think there are many that would sting, and that tells its own story, doesn't yeah. it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, like there may do, be do a surprise. You think be sale? Any
1: surprises? I think there's quite a few candidates actually.
2: Oh yeah, go on.
1: Well, we know Reece Nelson's pretty much available for loan, don't we? Yeah. Um, and if someone made a permanent offer, it wouldn't blow my mind if that happened. Just because um, numbers and competition and Arsenal needing to improve you know so they might they might take the money there
2: maybe I do wonder though with someone like Reese Nelson if you need to give him more first team football somewhere so when you do sell him he He's is worth potentially worth. worth more you know are, I mean, you, that's what I would are you selling yourself short if you sell him now even if he let's say isn't going to make it at Arsenal
1: um, I, I, and I really like Rhys Nelson by the way I hope he does make it at Arsenal but yeah I, I, I would say he'd be on the possible list who else um surprises I mean I do think there's a chance someone will take a punt on Callum Chambers I know he's injured but he's due to return to training next month mm. and someone might look at him and go you know I'm thinking of Fulham who have tried to buy two centre-backs that have not gone through for various reasons the last guy failed a medical um, there's a qu- query whether you should then be pursuing Chambers as an alternative but that mm. might be a possibility but again I don't think I'll be cut up about that Um Yeah, uh, I mean, Lacazette, we said, could be a surprise, maybe.
2: That'd be a surprise, not necessarily a sting.
1: Yeah. uh, For me, anyway,
2: uh, look, I know some people think differently.
1: What about other fringe players? I mean, you know, Socrates. we think, might well go. Mustafi, this talk, could go. What about fringe players like uh, Willock or Smith-Rowe? Do you think there's any chance they could go?
2: I think, again, you're looking at loans. For those right. guys, to be perfectly honest.
1: It's not honest. time to sell them, is it? I mean, it's not a, an inflated market right now. They no. haven't got the experience to make them worth... I mean, look at Maitland-Nars. He plays a couple of big games. He gets an England cap. He's worth another 15 million quid, or whatever it is. Um, if that happened to Willow, Smith-Rowe, you're in the money. So it doesn't really make sense to sell them at this point in their trajectory, I would say.
2: No. Maybe, you know, someone like Gendouzi would be a surprise as well. He would be a surprise departure, I think. because yeah, well, um, there's not really been
1: a buyer. Yeah, there's
2: been nobody interested in him, even if we are, you know, willing to do a deal um, and willing to let him go. There hasn't been sufficient interest in him. Um, maybe somebody will come in towards the end of the market where they know if we're really desperate to bring in somebody else, they can lowball us on a player. That's the way, that's the reality that we're going to have to deal with in the market.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Still, seven days to go. You go through this squad. So many names could still go. Mm. You know, Macy could still go. Sokratis, Mustafi, Chambers, maybe. Uh, Kolasinac, I didn't even mention. There could be a loan for Smith-Rowe, maybe. You know, uh, Nelson. It's a lot of names, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. It is it is um but I it don't doozy. know that, I don't know that we've got anybody who's going to like bring in a surprise 35 million quid. No. I don't think there's anyone in the squad. I mean, it was would...
1: quite a big surprise for Iwobi. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was a, it was it was one that worked in our favor wasn't it? You know Everton if you recall were trying to buy Zaha for mm. sort of 70 or 80 million couldn't get the deal done with Palace. And Iwobi was their alternative. And, you know, I think given that we knew how much money they were prepared to pay for Zaha, we could really squeeze them. Um, mm. I don't know that the same situation exists there for another player in this squad.
2: Here's one from Flanny Balls, at Flanny Balls. He said, do you think by not starting Ceballos, by hooking Xhaka and by giving El Neni the full 90 Mikel Arteta might have been sending the apocryphal message to the board about his midfield options. Because, again, we, we didn't even mention Lucas Torreira.
1: Oh, God, yeah.
2: I mean, again, <laughs> again, you know, wouldn't be a surprise, wouldn't necessarily be a sting, unless we sort of loaned him and didn't get any money in from for him.
1: Well, it is kind of an absurd state of affairs, isn't it? That when you look at our midfield options, I mean, I'm looking at them on the on the squad page now. Mm. and They've got uh, 10 listed. There are three who are just not being selected. Do you know what I mean? For, mm. for, for a variety of reasons. Well, pretty much for the same reason that Arteta doesn't really see them as part of the future of this club. But... If you think about the amount of sort of equity and money that is invested in those three individuals that we are just not using, that is a situation that has to be resolved in some fashion, doesn't it? I mean, with a, with a weak midfield, we need to either replace those people mm. or reintegrate them. I don't think we have the depth of quality that we can afford to, to let that continue,
2: Yeah. We? Mm no just sort of uh, on that um on that uh point about moving players on and, and yeah. the squad Luther Yumberg uh, who's that Jungberg Luther says in your opinion is the lack of ability to shift players a failure on the part of Edu and the club or simply due to a covid market
1: I don't think the covid market helps for sure um but players are still moving and i think it says more really about the underperformance of certain players you know and the fact that they're not um they haven't hit the heights that we might have expected but but mm. that said you know Gendouzi, for example for the money that we're probably asking for him you could see in the past that that would be a sort of A reasonable, even a gamble for a big club to be like, okay, we'll go for this guy. You know, he's young, he's got an upside. Torreira, probably the same thing. Arsenal are struggling to sell these players and they're trying to sell them in most cases to clubs in countries that have been even more devastated economically or leagues that don't have the same financial uh, security as the Premier League. Mm. So it all plays into each other. You do have to say, though, we don't have a great selling record pre COVID either, do we?
2: No, it's definitely an area that we can improve on. Definitely an area we can improve on. I mean,
1: have we talked on this show, was it you who said, you know, is that almost a specialist role that Arsenal should be looking at? Yeah,
2: we were asked about that. Should we have a a head of sales? Um, Which sounds kind of funny, but, you know, I think we did make the point that Mikel Arteta is in his first job as a manager. You know he hasn 't done the nuts and bolts the wheeling and dealing of of buying players and doing player deals uh, edu is an administrator guy he 's not necessarily um, a businessman if you like is he you know he's mm-hmm. he 's around the squad and he likes to be with the squad and 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 all that kind of a thing so
1: um, how it tends to work in football and how it has tended to work us in the past is that if you want to sell a player. Uh, you, if it gets to the point where you know that for sure, you tell the player's agent, look, you might want to find a club. But it's not really in that agent's interest for the transfer fee to be massive. All they really care about is the player's salary mm. um, because that's where they're going to take their commission from. So, you know, for example, in the case of Torreira, this is hypothetical, but Torreira can go and agree a lovely deal with Atletico Madrid. Everyone's a winner, but it doesn't help Arsenal out that much because... You know, they, they need the cash. Um, so, and, and you know, any cash that gets diverted into Arsenal's pocket isn't going into Torreira's, essentially. So there's a bit of a, a conflict there and it's mm. it's really, really, really tricky. I think um, it, if Arsenal had their way, they would have sold more players this summer, wouldn't they? Of
2: course, of course. I mean, the rea- the reality is we are trying to sell players we don't want and everyone knows we don't want them.
1: Very true. So you're yeah.
2: you're trying to shift damaged goods, if you like. And it's very, very difficult, even if you're the world's best salesman, to create a market for for a product, if you like, that everyone knows is just average, maybe?
1: Yeah. I mean coming back to Flanny Bulls' question about is Arteta sending a message I don't think he is intentionally sending a message. I really believe he picked El Elneny because he thought El Elneny was the right player to pick. Um, on reflection, this composition of his central midfield wasn't right. Uh, but I do think that it was not sending a message. I think it does kind of indirectly send a message because, yeah. you know, we didn't have a great deal of options, did we? No,
2: we didn't. We didn't. I mean... Um... It it says a lot about your central midfield when it's Shaka and El Neni. And I'm, you know, again, making the point that that's not to slag off either of these two players. But, you know, how can you realistically expect guys to do more than they've done for you in the past when you know what they are? You know what they are. You know what they can do. You know how they do it. And it's been okay Mm. and that's it you know i think you're right it it indirectly sends a message i don't think he picked the players going look at this josh look at this you yeah. know now what are you gonna do about it i've just he played to win the game exactly i think he picked the team i don't even know if he wanted to win the game i think he was trying not to lose the game i think yeah, that was yeah. probably more what informed his team selection
1: To stay in the game, basically. To stay in the game
2: and to be compact and to be relatively safe and secure in midfield. But, you know, it's the paucity of options um, that he feels he has available to him that, you know, it's evident in the team that he
1: picked. By the way, you know, Flanny mentioned hooking Shaka in that question and the fact that he came off, was that another instance of sending a message? On Shaka specifically, what do you think because he's been such an ever-present under arteta do you think that him coming off in that game could indicate that maybe his his place in the team is not quite as secure as it has certainly appeared until this point
2: i don't know i mean we we don't know if maybe he was struggling with a bit of an injury or something like that um it's very difficult to say on the basis of one decision you know, and basically the yeah. first time that that Arteta has made that decision to take Shaka off, maybe he has been substituted, but I don't remember it happening like with a half an hour to go or whatever it was. Maybe with five minutes to go or something like that. Um, so it is something different. I think the 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 evidence will be in what happens over the coming weeks and months. Um, you know. I mean, look. If we bring in new midfield players, he could become more peripheral. You know, no question. Um, but I don't surprise think surprise
1: departure. I don't think
2: so. I don't think so. I think he likes Jack. I think he likes the, the the sort of personality that he is. Um, but I don't think he's also blind to the fact that you know we've we've been who we are for quite a while. Now and Xhaka has been a fairly integral part of that, you know, since he joined. Is this his fourth season with the yeah. club? So, like I said earlier, unless you start improving the, the parts, you know, your car is only going to run at one speed. So,
1: can I on Shaka? Hmm. I mean, I think that there is a chance that he will stay in the team in a way that's quite constructive. And one of the ways I could see that happening is if Arsenal go to what is ostensibly a back four. Because if Arsenal go to a midfield three, I can see Shaka resuming that role that he had under Arteta when he first came in, where he was kind of the deepest midfielder. Mm. And he actually played a lot of the time as the kind of auxiliary third centre half, uh, where he's always facing forward. You know, he doesn't get the same degree of pressure that he does in, in the middle of the park. Mm. And he's a really good passing outlet. And then, you're, you know, your left back bombs on if it's, you know, with Saka at that point, but it could be Tierney. And then you've still got room for, I don't know, Sabayas and a signing or whatever in that central midfield. I yeah. can see that happening. You know, and I think that suited Shaka maybe a bit more than what he's been asked to do at the moment.
2: Yep, maybe so. I mean, I think you could still have some questions about his press resistance there were a couple of times he was he was caught last night
1: where his uh, one footedness is is a problem
2: and his yeah and and just the slowness on the turn i think as well and liverpool targeted that yeah
1: they did they do you know they pick a player and push and squeeze them and i think it was probably shaka last night
2: they did it to shaka they did it to holding and they did it to louise and louise louise was you know he's good enough on the ball you know he's a good footballer david louise um you can see how he might make a mistake in those circumstances, but he didn't. Um, you know, so he's good, but I think they were targeting specific players and Jacker was, was definitely one of them. Mm. Okay. Look, this, this is a question that's come up a lot on the discord. We had a lot of people asking about, uh, Nicholas Pepe. Yeah. Um, let me have one here. Bum, um, You have to
1: call him 72 million pounds. Nicholas Pepe. 72 million rules.
2: pounds. Nicholas Pepe. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: right andre
2: daniels question why as arsenal fans are we not ready to have the pepe conversation he has been a flop and the longer we deny it the longer we have to make excuses not all transfers are going to work out plan on shipping him out in the next few months at a loss and move on uh we also have marin 17 what's going on with pepe our record signing he can't even get a start are you guys concerned or worried about how easily willian just walked in and took his spot in the starting 11 do you think it's related to the investigation which Saw Raul leave the club, and there are a number of questions along those lines. Um, the a real of questions
1: c- about corners, <laughs>
2: yeah. The real chicken dipper, I'm really worried about Pepe, and his performance last night was very disheartening. While those two corners were the wrinkly old, smelly ball like cherries on top, do you think <laughs> it's time to give Saka a go and play Pepe in the cup competitions to get his confidence back? Can I just say one thing on the corners, which I admit were dreadful? Yeah, But I think that the instruction was to play them to the near post. I oh, think I think definitely. that's what the setup of the corner was, the way the players were set up. It was like, get it into the near post, try flick it on, get around the goalkeeper and see what happens. The execution of the corners was terrible. There's no making excuses for it. It was the height
1: that was the issue. Yeah, right? it, it,
2: it wasn't. But that's why he played them to that near post.
1: I agree. That was clearly yeah. something we'd worked on. And we absolutely fucked up. <laughs> Made a
2: bollocks of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, uh, that is really frustrating. And one of the things, when we were talking about sort of staying in the game and your brother texting you saying, you know, 10 minutes to go, I'm a bit nervous here. What you want in a scenario like that, in theory, is a couple of set pieces, right? Because Arsenal weren't creating a huge amount from open play. Suddenly they get a chance. They've got three centre-halves on the pitch. They can stick to them up for a corner. You know, it is galling when you then see that hit the first man. And mm. it's it's worse to hit a first man when you're aiming for the back post, granted. Uh, but it's still enormously frustrating. It feels like a completely wasted opportunity. As for the Pepe conversation, I, I mean, I don't think I am scared to have the Pepe conversation. I think that, in fact, I will say Pepe has been a flop easily.
2: Do you? Okay. That's a big assertion to make. No, on on what basis? On what basis do you do you call him a flop? Is it entirely predicated on the price tag? Is that why? Is that the basis on which he's a flop? Because you know his first season in English football, he nine goals, eight assists, not great, not great, but I, I don't think that's a complete flop. If you're saying that we we make our assessment on him based on how much we paid for him, I would agree that he hasn't lived up to those expectations. though. But I don't think he's been an absolute flop.
1: But sometimes a player is a flop, not because they're a bad player. He's not a bad player. He's a really good player. Like, the the, the, the the question for me is, would I do the deal again? And I wouldn't do the deal again. If mm. I could have my time again and spend that money on that player, would I do it? Definitely not. No. And it's it's not because he's bad. I mean, Angel Di Maria, right, is probably one of the best midfield players of the last 15 years. He went to Manchester United for 60 million quid and flopped. It doesn't make him a bad player. Mm. It just meant that he didn't provide value in that period. And maybe it was partly a fit thing. Maybe it was the wrong country for him. Could have been lots of different things and the other thing i'll say about pepe is it's thus far i in 5 years time or in 4 years time we might be like oh he was brilliant value i'm not saying that won't happen but if you ask me now has he flopped versus expectation and versus what you would you know call value for that money i don't think i don't think there's an argument about that personally
2: right i i think what i would say on this is i think that if you were to ask this question at the end of last season, after we would won the Cup and after he played really well, yeah, you wouldn't have been quite as emphatic in saying that he was a flop.
1: No, I thought mm-hmm. was man the, I thought was best player in the FA Cup final. Probably.
2: Yeah, I thought he was great. And I thought there were signs that he was starting to really feel comfortable and settled. the 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 difference now, of course, is that we've brought in a 32-year-old... From Chelsea, who played really well in his first game, I didn't think he was good against West Ham. He wasn't good against Liverpool, but then nobody was, and that 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 obviously alters your perception of what, but what yeah. Pepe um, or how effective Pepe is. Like it's impossible for me; it's genuinely impossible not to have concerns about Pepe. After three Premier League games, when he hasn't started any single one of them, when he's been left out for a, a player like Willian, and look, I'm not being critical of Willian here, but I think just the profile of of um, the profile of of him as a player is very different from Pepe. I think Tim Stillman talks about this a bit in terms of what what Willian gives you. Uh, in terms of structure and why Arteta might like him in the team. Um, But when you have a young, exciting talent you've paid a lot of money for and he's not getting in the side ahead of somebody like Willian, it's not unreasonable to think that the manager, despite what he says and despite what he has said about how he thinks Pepe is going to be a big part of our future and everything else, just isn't using him. Apart from substitute appearances when... He needs something out of him, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean, what does the fact that Arteta went and bought Willian tell you about his opinion of Pepe, or you know, his his vision for Pepe in this team? And that again, or, is the or what he
2: wants from a player on the right hand side, which is obviously different from what Pepe gives you.
1: Yeah, and maybe that would change if the composition of the team changed. We don't know that. You know, we're talking about a specific system at the moment, but. I don't know. I, I think that I think there's a lot of tribalism around signings, basically in football at the moment, and it matters a lot to people that their big signings are successful because they feel like trophies almost in mm. a way. The sort of discourse plays out on social media. I think that a lot of signings, a lot of signings Arsenal have made, have sort of underwhelmed. And I don't think Pepe's indifferent. And I'm not saying I don't think he's a good player or that it can't happen for him. I'm saying with this manager and the current system we have, I don't think it's worked thus far. And I think, I, I often think of André Sharvin, right, who was Arsenal's record signing pretty much too when he arrived mm. and was a sensationally talented footballer that I adored. And I would have loved him... To, you know, play number 10 and be a massive part of that team and have delivered on his potential. He didn't get close to it. And I think at the end of our shoving time in England, granted, it really diminuendoed at the end. But, you know, you'd have to say, as a signing, I think he flopped. Mm. And I I, I think right now the same is true for Pepe. Does it mean that he won't, you know, bang it in the net from 30 yards in the next game and and fly and, and become a star? Certainly not at all you know i think there's every chance that if if we can find a way to fit him into the system that suits him and if he can unlock his potential the potential is massive um but i'm just saying if you had to draw a line if he left arsenal tomorrow he flopped in my opinion
2: fair enough i mean it is it is i'm going a- to
1: get killed for that i know
2: no i don't but- think so i think it's a i think it's a a perfectly fair thing to say you're not saying that he will um but it's so the basis
1: far, it hasn't happened really. And it has in flashes because he's really talented. Like, he can do things that other players can't do. Um, what gives me hope is, it's a bit lazy this, because I always look at Man City and I always sort of see shades of what Arteta's doing now at Arsenal in them. But I always think about Riyad Mahrez because he went to Man City as a player who had a lot of freedom at Leicester And was relatively unstructured. And I think Mahrez is someone that Arteta worked quite closely with. And over time, he became someone who could play in that structure. And who could do what Guardiola demands. And I look at him and I look at Pepe and I think, well, can you make that leap? And I really, really, really hope he can. I'm just, we haven't seen it with any great consistency thus far.
2: Yeah, look, where I would have the the big concern is that um, the kind of player Willian is is very different from the player Pepe is. And if that's what Arteta wants from a player on the right-hand side, then square peg, round hole kind of scenario. Maybe. You know what I mean? But, but it's quite possible that the, the system could change. The formation could change depending yeah. on what we do in the transfer market and that might be something which um, frees up Pepe or liberates Pepe or allows Arteta to get more out of Pepe um, You know than we have seen thus far this season. And again, I think it's worth pointing out it's only three Premier League games um, and, and we are, I think just the nature of football fandom, we are quite quick to jump to not conclusions um, but, you know, a guy who who is um out in the cold one week can be the hero the next week. So
1: Yeah, and I think so in pre-season a- we did an over under on Pepe. Yeah. And I think I said I thought he could do 10 and 10 or something like it. Mm. But he's got a play. <laughs> he's got a play to do that. Yeah. And if the manager's not picking him, I mean, you know, if a Barian comes off the left and Arsenal are able to have someone who provides a bit more structure on that left-hand side, then maybe maybe there is more freedom on the right. And that creates an opportunity for Pepe. Mm. I would love it to work. I think he's super talented. I just, I, I worry, I think it was Clive actually on the Arsenal Vision was talking about the need to kind of impose your personality. And, you know, when our was at Arsenal, there was always a lot of talk about he was kind of outside the group. And, you know, he was kind of a bit eccentric and a bit different. And with Pepe, it sometimes feels a bit like he's outside the group.
2: Well, yeah. I, I, let me just, I, I don't know if you saw the question or the quotes from Arteta at the weekend. where he, I, he, I don't know if I did. He, 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 he spoke specifically about how well he's settled in, how he gets on with everybody, how everybody mm-hmm. likes him, etc., etc., etc. So he was really positive. He was genuinely really positive about him. Again, uh, finding the balance between what a manager says in public and what he really thinks, that is, that's that's
1: well, the key. Well, I, and to, can I say, I don't think Arteta thinks Pepe is a bad player and I don't think he doesn't want him in the squad. There's no talk of him no, no, being no no, no, no. no, no. I think he likes Pepe as an option and he'll play plenty of football. I don't think he thinks of Pepe as the guy. Do you know what I mean? Or or one of the guys. I think he's like, someone Arteta rates, he'd he'd have a role in the squad, he'll use him sometimes. I don't think he necessarily right now looks at him and goes, one of the five players i build my team around. He definitely
2: doesn't look at him and go, there's 72 million pound Nicolas Pepe.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. is, the, the, the price tag doesn't matter to Arteta. No, that's I know, I know, I
2: know, I know. But I mean, is there any pressure to to use a player who is the record signing? It does add a dimension to every conversation that you have about them. That's just, yeah.
1: that's well, inescapable. if there is a pressure, Arteta's not paying any attention no. to it. And I actually think, just to round this off, I think that is the healthiest thing. Mm. Because what Arteta is doing is just treating Pepe like any other player. Mm. And that, I think, is probably the best thing for expectation for his confidence because i think the, the money the question of if it was enough if it was the right amount of money and if it's been value for, for me personally right now you know that is mm. not the case
2: well look we'll wait and see i have one final question it's sort of tied into this a little bit it comes from ollie one roddy on the discord who says how many players in the last five years would you buy again for the <laughs> same money strikes me that even the best buyers are one-dimensional players who are extremely limited in one way or the other. So, of the players... I was going to ask you this, and I thought it
1: would be too brutal. So I was like, I will leave it. But yeah, let's do it, for sure. Um, So, how many players would we buy for the same price? Is that right?
2: Yeah. Uh, I would say...
1: So I'm looking at the ins.
2: I would say, for me, Aubameyang... I definitely How far back that. are we
1: going to go? How far back are we Five going Five
2: go? years. Go to the start of the 15, 16 season.
1: Okay. Um, start of that. So that season, we only bought Cech and Elneny. Um,
2: Elneny was January, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. So I think.
2: I wouldn't pay that much again for Petr Cech. Really? <laughs> no, I would go. I would sort out the fucking Chesney. Wojciech Šezny yeah. situation once I think and that's for all. Fair enough.
1: I don't think Czech was like appalling value for what we paid for him, but I think Chesney was clearly a better long-term bet. Yeah. Um, The next summer is where the shit really hits the fan. So that was the summer of Shaka Mustafi and Perez. A hundred million on those
2: wouldn't would not pay that. Obviously, no. Two million for Rob Holding, I'd pay that.
1: Again, sure, for Rob Hall, and of course, who can argue with three point six million for Takuma Asano? Uh, three point no right, right.
2: six million for Takuma Asano,
1: according to Transfermarkt. Who knows if that's that
2: right is now. some fucking serious fucking money laundering shit right there, isn't it?
1: By the way, I a hundred percent wouldn't pay the money for Perez or Mustafi. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. Shaka, there are players I would have bought instead of Shaka with that money, but. In terms of his availability and his contribution, I would argue that he's not been terrible value. But that, I, I know people think he's rubbish, so fair enough. Mm. Um seventeen eighteen, of course, is the 50 million quid on Lacazette.
2: Wouldn't spend it. No. Wouldn't spend it. I'd do the Aubameyang deal in the summer and I'd pay, right. you know, an extra 10 million to do the Aubameyang deal that summer than spend the 50 million on Lacazette.
1: Completely agree. My only caveat to that is, I don't know if we would have got Obamiang that summer, just because, I th- I, in a funny way, I think his situation at Dortmund really had to get shit for him to move to us. But, yeah, if he was available, you'd, you'd spend, I don't know, 70, 80 million quid, and it mm. would still feel like value. Mm. So you know, Lacazette was not the good signing. Of course, we got Mkhitaryan for free. I wouldn't do that again. (laughs) Uh,
2: (laughs) For free. I mean, we swapped a player that we could have got 60 million pounds for the previous summer. You know, so it's not not free free, but I know what you mean. And, uh, you know, even if Manchester United had said, we'll pay you money, I wouldn't have taken Mkhitaryan.
1: So the following summer. Well, I mean, Leno for 22.5. I think we've had good
2: value for that
1: even Torreira at 25 million sterling, I feel like, well, ask me when we know what we get back. Do you know what I mean? Like if you spend it, but you get it back, I've not got a huge problem with it. I could see the logic in it at the time. Um, Socrates for 14. How do you feel about that?
2: You know, it's one of those where I kind of always saw the logic of it, even if the signing didn't work out. And even if I don't think he's been as bad a signing as some people would tell you um I mean what could you have got for 14 million in a centre half that summer I don't know we needed somebody to come in experienced we had holding we had chambers could
1: he yeah have, I mean you know it, it's not been a stellar signing but it wasn't uh, it's not mm. the one I'm sort of most annoyed about if you see what I mean mm. 7 million on Ginduzi, absolutely fair enough I yeah. think um And Denis Suarez, uh, Mm -hmm. the less said about that, the better.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Uh,
1: Following summer... Pepe. ...is interesting. Pepe, as I've said, I wouldn't spend that money again uh, on on that player. Um, Saliba, (laughs) crumbs, who knows? (laughs) No, I think we don't know yet, do we? Would you spend that money again? On a guy who's not ready to contribute yet.
2: See, this is one of those where if Saliba goes on to become the player we all want him to be, you sound like
1: an idiot well,
2: because yeah. you know you've you've made a decision before you've even had given the guy a chance. So uh, I'm very yeah. mindful of the fact that you know he's only 19, and I've said this countless times. Expectation levels regarding Saliba were way too high yeah. um, for a player of his profile in the early stages of his career, coming to England, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. On the other hand, though, if we're going to talk about expectations being high in Pepe because of his transfer fee, when you go out and spend £28 million on on an 18-year-old who you want so badly, you spend £28 million and leave him on loan with his former club, you know, it does make people sit up and take notice. It's certainly an uh, eyebrow-raising deal.
1: Mm. Um, well, so I, I, by my rules, if you had to draw the line now, you'd be like, well, that's not been value. But, of course, it's a really long-term purchase, Saliba. Um, I think there was talk about a six-year contract when he initially signed. So, Yeah. we And he's just sent it half and blah, blah, blah. It's it's a, it is a fucking
2: phenomenal a, amount of money for an 18-year-old kid.
1: Yeah. And, and tell you what, something I'll be really interested to see, there's a guy at St Etienne as well called Wesley Fofana who... I Think he's about the same age as Saliba. He's nineteen now, Mm. and he played next to Saliba uh, for most of last season. And according to some observers, was superior. He's looks to be going to Leicester. It'll be very interesting to see, sort of, look at those two players Mm. and see how their different trajectories play out over the next few years. Yeah. Um, Kieran Tierney, twenty four million. Yeah, I'd pay it. I'd pay it. What about David Luiz? That's listed as seven point eight million on this website. I think that's genuinely a very difficult one to assess.
2: It is because
1: it's, it's, it's the wages, really. I mean, that's the thing.
2: Well, yeah, it's just the wages and the signing on fee and everything else. Um, seven million for what he gave us on the pitch last season. I don't know. I'm I'm quite conflicted about David Louise because I, I like him yeah, as a yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. I think he seems to be a really good guy. Yeah. Um, mainly, or maybe, because we haven't fallen out with him yet or he hasn't fallen out with anybody yet, at which point your opinion of a player changes. Um, look, he wouldn't have been my ideal signing. Again, we needed somebody because of the Kashelny situation, because of how fucked up that was and how we made a bollocks of it. So... An experienced centre half for 7 million. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I feel like it's one of those Socrates ones where it's like, I mean, I don't know if we win the FA Cup without Dev Luis. Do you know what I mean? So I sort of think I would say I'm all right with that. Martinelli, whatever we paid, I'm happy with it. Yeah. Um, Then in January, you're looking at, uh, well, they've made permanent in the summer, but Mari and Cedric, I've said my piece on those. Mm. What do you think? You would you do? Did we did we need mari at the time? It felt like we did, but he didn't play. <laughs>
2: he didn't play because he played a couple of games and then it was locked down. Everything was locked down. So it wasn't that he didn't play because he wasn't being picked. He arrived, and I don't think he was fit because the Brazilian season had ended in December. And, you know, it took him a while to get up to match fitness. And then, of course, we had lockdown, and he gets injured in the first game after lockdown. So I think it's too early to make any uh, assessment on, on Pablo Marie. Um, you know, because how can you properly judge a player when you just haven't seen him play? Uh, Cedric, I wouldn't do. Again, I think there was a big loan fee, Bosman wages.
1: Yeah. No, it's very difficult to justify that one. Gabriel no, I would Gabrielle, uh, jury's out, but seems like a sensible signing for a decent price.
2: Yeah. So there you go. So not many uh, of them that we've signed in the last five years we would do for the same price again. But of course, that's it's kind of easy to say if you're Captain hindsight like we are, you know? You're going, at, yeah. you're going at these with, with the benefit of hindsight.
1: Oh, we've not been very good, have we? So, I mean, naturally, it's going to be that way. Liverpool are going to look at their signings and go, oh, I'll do them all again, please. I but, don't I mean, think
2: anybody gave a single fuck about how much we paid for Lucas Perez or Mustafi or Granit Xhaka at the time. Exactly. I don't think, I don't remember a great deal of like, ooh, well, that's a bit expensive. Maybe the Perez one, but maybe not. I don't know.
1: I mean, that was the cheapest you know deal we did that summer, basically. So... Yeah, I mean, the Mustafi money... I think the Mustafi money did sort of weigh around him in the same way as sort of, you know, Pepe to an extent. It was Mm. a lot for him. Mm. A lot for that kind of centre-half. But the recruitment's not been great, is basically the the conclusion there, I think.
2: There is room for improvement.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, listen, our new sales executives really got to get to work. Yeah.
2: Head of sales needed ASAP. Um, all right, well, look, we better leave it there. We are going to be back on Friday morning. We're going to do another Arscast Extra because we do have a Carabao Cup game on Thursday night. So mm-hmm. um, much less stress about this visit to Anfield for me. Uh, very much a Sarah Sarai vibe going on because I think it's going to be the most rotated team yet under Mikel Arteta.
1: Yeah, I just wonder if Eddie and Ketchy might be playing for a place in the Premier League team. Mm. Weekend,
2: maybe, maybe. Okay, we will see what happens. Thanks as ever for listening, folks. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for being here, and uh, we'll catch you Friday morning. Until then,
1: Bye-bye. bye bye.